So I'll be in one of the rooms of my house, and suddenly I'll hear Landon um, loudly screaming, and my instant response is to yell one of my other kids' names. You know, Cade, what are you doing? Bryn, what are you doing to Landon? And I'll usually run into the room, and I'll find Landon actually by himself, screaming and yelling at himself because he can't do something. He can't get his shoe on. He can't get the Wii remote to work right. He can't button his, his uh, pants. You know, it's, it's one of these things. And so I want to help him, and I want to encourage him, but I'm not allowed. He's got to do it right. And he will scream, and he will yell until he gets it right. And um, I was just thinking about that, and the truth is with him is that probably the worst person, the most dangerous person that I can leave him with in my house is himself. It's, it's, not his, it's not his brother and sister, although they get in there too, and they, they definitely do some, some things to him they shouldn't. But really, the one that can be most hurtful to him usually is himself because he's his own worst critic. He, he judges himself so harshly, and he has to get it right. Now, I have to be honest, I, I know who he gets that from. Uh, it's Kelly. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's me. It's definitely, it's me. I, I have to get it right, you know? I mean, I, I would guess many of us can relate to this, right? And, and it's not just when we're trying to put our shoes on, but it's life. It's the decisions we try to make. It's, it's trying to please God. It's trying to do things the way that we think are going to please him. Now, certainly it's a good thing to want to please God. It's a good thing to want to live your life in a way that's going to honor him. But I think, if you're anything like me, that we're really good at beating ourselves up. We're really good that when we get to the points in our lives where we don't get it right, we're just great at yelling at ourselves. We're great at condemning ourselves. We're great at laying guilt on ourselves. Um, and, and I think so often God's just looking at us like I'm looking at Landon, going, why are you doing this? No? Why, why are you pouring all of this, this outpouring of emotion, of, of be it upheaval or anger or guilt or self-condemnation on yourself? Why, why are you doing this right now? As, as only the eyes of a loving father can look at a child and say, there's something better. There's a better, there's a better way. I think we're really good at beating ourselves up. I was speaking with Andrew recently about some things that I was struggling with in my life, and I was speaking with Joey and, and Pastor too, and, and I was talking with Andrew a little bit later about it, and, and he just kind of looked at me and just sort of said something like, I, I don't really think that what you're, you're struggling with is wrong. Like, like the things you're beating yourself up for, the things you're losing sleep over right now, Doug, wanting to get so right and so perfect, I don't really think are an issue. And sometimes it just takes somebody from the outside looking at our situation, and they can kind of enlighten us and show us like, you're really killing yourself here. You're really laying a lot of pressure on yourself here. And I would guess that's a problem for many of us. I think one of the problems when we start talking about stuff like this is that we, and again, I, 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 this is just my heart today. I guess I'm t- preaching to myself a lot. But we can really miss, like, the hundred good things that happen in a day. The hundred great things that God gave us grace to do well. The hundred things that, that really, wow, like we don't even think about those hundred things, you know? I mean, for me, you know, it's just walking through the hall without stubbing my toe. I'll take that, you know, chalk that up, right? I mean, just a hundred things that go well in a day. But no, I'm going to harp on the one thing. I'm going to focus on the one thing and beat myself up about that one thing all day long and miss the blessing of the grace of all those other things. Perfect example this is my son, Cade, who's eight, and his cousin, who is six, Seth, and um, we were hanging out at Easter. It was a beautiful day on last Sunday. And so we were, of course, playing baseball outside. 
And uh, so these little punks, these little kids, these six and eight-year-old were challenging my dad and I to, to play baseball. So we played baseball with them. And uh, it was my dad and I versus them. And so my dad and I got out to a quick lead. We were doing awesome. We got about 15 runs in the first inning and just kept going. And no mercy, I'll tell you. But you know what? Eventually they got up and they got a lot of runs. And then, then we swapped sides again. And this six-year-old and this eight-year-old were legitimately striking us out. I mean, just whizzing the ball past us so fast. And of course, we didn't let them know. We, we thought we let them know that you know, we were taking easy on them. But truly, before you and no one else, um, they were sh- seriously striking us. They, they, were, they were hitting bombs out into the outfield and, and getting true home runs on my dad and I. And, and, and so these kids are truly amazing. I mean, there's going to be a big battle one day because one of them is going to be a Yankee and one a Met, and it's just going to be ugly. But um, the truth is, is that they were doing incredible for a six and an eight-year-old. Now, you'd think that they'd be happy about that, right? But the truth is that in the matter of that time, in that game, both of them at separate times actually started crying and beat themselves up because they dropped the ball or they got tagged out or they didn't hit it as far as they wanted to or one of us got a good hit. And my dad and I just had to stop and look at them and say, how old are you? Seth's like six and Cade's, you know, eight. And he said, like, I'm 34. And my dad says, I'm 50. I don't even know how old he's 50 something. And, and, and so we're saying, you're like competing well with people a billion times your age right now. And you're upset that you got tagged out or you're upset that you, you didn't hit the ball as far as you wanted to. And in that moment, it's just like, I think God, you know, there wasn't like a voice from heaven or anything, but God's just spotlighting my own heart, I think. And saying, Doug, like, do you realize all the things that I'm pleased about you? Do you realize all the things that in your life, I'm looking at you and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for the decisions you're making. I'm, I'm blessed by your heart and your desire to live for me. And, and Doug, you know what? You're not always going to hit a home run. You know, you're not always going to throw a strike. And so what do we do with this? Because we're so good at beating ourselves up and and, and the, the, the struggle with a message like this is then we all just kind of leave and go, let's party, let's just go live life. God's good and he's going to forgive us. And, and that's what Paul had to struggle with in, in Scripture. He kept bouncing back and forth between the two. He's telling, you know, in one chapter, it's like, no, you know, God wants you to live for him and, and desire to live a life that pleases him. And then the next chapter, it's like, but stop trying to earn your way to God and stop beating yourself up. And it was just, it's this balancing act. And so we got to kind of walk the tightrope here together today and get this right. But the truth is, is I would guess many of us are walking around in guilt, in self-condemnation, and know the answer is not run out and live however you want. But the truth is, is that there's a God who's crazy about you today. There's a God who's proud of you today about a lot of different things. And I think that it's not just us that's kind of putting ourselves down. We know for a fact that, that there's an enemy. There's a devil. There's Satan who is constantly whispering in our ears, constantly trying to get us to doubt God's love for us, constantly trying to accuse us and condemn us. In fact, some of these things line right up with his name. The word devil in the Greek means one who engages in slander. That's actually what the word devil means. One who just is out to badmouth you and I. The word slander is defined as this, malicious false statement. So Satan, Satan is constantly in our ear saying, you did that and you think God still loves you? You, you? you said that, you had that thought and you think he still 
wants you? He thinks, you think he wants you to represent him anymore? Because look what you just did. Look, look how you just reacted. Look how you lost your temper. Look at the thought that entered your mind. Look at how you lashed out. And he's there accusing. The word Satan in Hebrew means adversary. And a slight variation of that word is accuser. Just constantly there, accusing, accusing us, putting thoughts in our own hearts and our own minds to call us to just live at this place beneath where God wants us to. Because here's why this is so important that we talk about today. Because many of us know that guilt would be a bad thing and self-condemnation would be a bad thing. But I think Satan's real tricky. Because the truth is, is that if you're God's, he can't steal you from God. But what he can do is he can accuse you enough and get you to believe enough things about yourself and myself that we lose our joy in God, that we begin to take ourselves out of the relationship with God because who would want us like this anyway? And that really, he makes us completely ineffective to reach anybody else because the thought is constantly going through our mind, why would God want to use you, right? And so Satan can't steal you from God, but he can really cause you to lose the joy of your salvation, He can really cause you and I to to lose the daily closeness with God because many times we're just running away thinking that God doesn't really even want us. And so today is huge. And I really believe that as Pastor's been doing this series called The Promise for a bunch of weeks now, that today the the deal breaker here for us, the, the, the guilt breaker for us is a promise. Is a promise that God has given us that you and I can walk out of here today as imperfect people that we will be for the rest of our lives and know a true and loving relationship with a God who's crazy for us. Some of you guys today might say, well, I'm not really a church person. I'm not a Christian or I'm not somebody who has a relationship with Jesus. And you know what? Maybe one of the reasons, I mean, you might have a whole bunch of reasons why, but maybe one of them is just because you've thought God doesn't want you. You thought, you know, that's for the good people. And the reality is, is I wouldn't be up here if this is for the good people because I'm a mess and I need God continually to be filling me with his grace and his love. And so pay attention today. Even if you're not a church person, you might be surprised as what the, what the Bible has to say about this. So how do we get through this? Well, let's look at an amazing chapter, uh, probably one of the best, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna strike with lightning for saying this, but it's one of the best chapters in the Bible. I don't know if God like, doesn't like that kind of stuff. You know, hey, that's all good, right? But uh, Romans chapter eight, incredible chapter. And just a bunch of questions that are going to kind of help us out here with this. So Romans 8, 31 says this. If God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And that's an incredible question. And unfortunately, most of us have an answer right away. And you know what that answer is? It's me. I can be against me. Because I know what a mess I am. If God's for me, who can be against me? Why can be against me? Because I know my own heart. I know my ups and downs and my struggles and maybe I can come to church and look good and go to community group and look good. But I know my thoughts and I know my heart so I can be against me. And of course, Satan is in the background accusing. And so we know that he, in some ways, is against us and yet Paul's not looking for an answer here. It's almost like a rhetorical question here, right? If God's for us, who can be against us? Then he goes on, he says, he who did not spare his own son. So this is the one who's for you. The one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So the beauty of this is that it's not God just saying, hey, just want to let you know I love you. It's God actually putting his money where his mouth is. 
You see, the beautiful thing about God, the beautiful thing about Jesus and Christianity is that he's the only one that came for us. You know, if, you're, if you thought like church world was all alike and every church is the same and every belief system is the same, Jesus is the only one who came for you. Everyone else kind of stayed in their safe place and said, live like this and do that. But here, this is incredible. How do we know God's for us? How do we know that if God's for us, no one can be against us? Because Jesus came, because God sacrificed his son for you. He put his money where his mouth is. If I'm out mowing my lawn in the backyard in the summer and Cade's in the pool, every time I go by that pool, he'll splash me. And then he'll start trash talking me. Come on, old man, get in here. You know, why don't you get in here? Telling me to stop, why don't you come in here? You know, real playful and fun. But why don't you come in here and, you know, you show me how tough you are, you know, and just taunting me and just hitting me and hitting me. And I just keep my head down, keep my cool, you know, just keep mowing the lawn. Then I go in the house and I come back out with my swim trunks on. And it's like, oh, dang, he got the trunks on, you know, because now I'm about to put my money where my mouth was. Now I'm saying, all right, I'm coming now and watch out. And he swims to the opposite side of the pool, okay? And the truth is, is that we could all very easily, with a message like today, just say, God, that's great that you love me, but I just don't buy it. And I think his answer to you today is, well, if you need proof, I sent my son. And he stood in your place, because truly you and I do deserve every ounce of guilt and condemnation if it's just us. If we're on our own, we deserve it all. The reason we have freedom is because he sent his son. That's his proof that he means what he says when he says, I love you and I want you. See, I think the funny thing is for us, especially as Christians, is so often we begin to think that certain sins or struggles or lifelong struggles rule us out from truly being God's. But just think about that for a second. Didn't he come to forgive us for our sins? Like even those sins we still currently commit, like, yes, we should be changing, and yes, God, is at, if he's at work in our heart, there should be continued transformation of our heart. But I think too often we, we tend to just rule ourselves out and kind of just lay this guilt on ourselves saying, well, I guess this might rule me out because, after all, I shouldn't have done this. Well, we shouldn't have done any of it ever throughout all of human history. And Jesus, you know, the Bible says that this was God's plan and, and, and Jesus coming to die for you and I was was, was in, in order and, and planned out before the creation and the foundation of the world. And so I just think it's funny that now we rule ourselves out. Because God's here saying is that if God's for us, no one can be against us. And this goes on, this way of thinking, verse 33, it says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. So he's saying, all right, who's going to bring a charge against you? After all, it's God who justifies. And this word justifies, it's a legal term. And what it means is, it means that even though you and I are sinners and will continue to be till the day we die, that God sees us when it comes to the law, because the law could condemn every one of us, before the law, he sees us as pure and holy. And so I love this because he's saying, all right, so people are going to bring charges against you just think about the one who justifies. It's God. God is the one who says, you're okay. God is the one who says, you're right. When I'm out playing baseball with my kids, we're pitching, something happens, you know, the ball goes across the plate, and everyone waits to see what dad has to say. Was it a ball? Was it a strike? Is he, is he out? Is that strike three? Is he safe? 
you know, Landon will be yelling something, you know, you know. No, he just got a goal. You know, you don't get goals in baseball, you know. He's the one who he's talking about, right? Okay. You know, Bryn, no, it was too high. It wasn't a strike. Kate, right? And they all wait, wait for what dad says because dad's going to weigh in and my say is it. And so I call it. And guys, God's say is it. If he has said, I've bought you with the blood of my son and I've purchased you and I love you and I want you how you are today, I want you. Yes, I want to work on you. Yes, I want to change you. I want to transform you. I want to continue to make you into my image and make you more like me. But right now, I just want you to know, I want you. That's the message to you today, even if you'd say, I'm not a church folk. I'm not a a follower of Jesus. He wants you. So then it says, okay, well, if all this is true, then, then who is the one who condemns? He's still asking these rhetorical questions. And again, I think we'd all shoot our arms up in the air and say, I do. I condemn. Satan's condemning. But I love the answer here. See, you and I have all our reasons before God. I mean, I can tell you right now, I I could stand before God if God were on stage today and he'd say, what should I have against you? What should I hold against you? I could give him my list, right? And so could you. These are the things you should hold against me. These are the things that, God, I'm just not sure if I'm getting right right now and I'm struggling a lot. And I love the answer to this. Who? Who condemns? No one. No one. No one condemns. And again, God's got the say here. He calls the pitches. Strike or ball. This is his final word. And so he says, no one condemns. That includes him. And you know who else that includes? You. You can't condemn. You don't condemn you. Because he doesn't. So this is powerful proof. And now look at the next part. It says, Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life. And I love this because it just shows the continued involvement of God is at the right hand of God also interceding for us. See, when we think about this whole salvation thing and what God's done for us, we often think like past tense. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, died and rose again. But did you know like right now, April 15th at 11.56 a.m., Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. And this word in the Greek, intercession, intercession means to appeal to someone or plead for someone. Do you know Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, pleading for you, appealing for you. He knows what you did today. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you'll do this afternoon. You don't, he does. And he's just appealing. He's by the right hand of the Father. He's just saying, Father, I bought them. I purchased them. They're mine. See me. See me, he's saying, as the one that justifies them, the one that makes them pure and holy. It goes on. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And you know, I have to say, my whole Christian life as I've known these verses, when I was uh, in high school I wrote a really cheesy Christian song off these verses, okay? So I've known these verses a long time and my whole life I've always thought that when he's talking about, you know, how trouble and hardship and persecution and famine, all these things, they won't separate us from the love of God. I've always thought that that meant that even if we went through all those things, 
that he'd still kind of give us what we need to keep loving him and, and stay close with him. And I think that obviously that's true. But as I was reading this in context and studying it and looking at commentaries, one of the things that really surprised me about what people believe about this passage is that they believe that the reason Paul included all these things is not just because they're hard and they'd be difficult to go through, but that when we go through hard things, we often begin to think this must be punishment because God doesn't love me or want me or isn't happy with me anymore. And what many of the commentaries had said is that Paul wrote this and he experienced all of this to say, even in the midst of this, don't doubt God's love for you. Even when life is like hell on earth, it doesn't mean God stopped loving you. It doesn't mean that you're separated from his love. And so no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you might be saying, oh, God just hates me and God just is after me and he's out to get me and he just wants to zap me. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. See, no matter what's coming your way, don't view it as God's disdain for you. Realize he loves you right in the midst of all of it and through of it. And so he's asked all these questions and then he answers with verse 37. He says, no, so no, not nakedness or trouble or hardship or persecution, No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, in all these struggles, in all these hardships, in all these ups and downs, in all the things that we think about ourselves, in all the times we ask ourselves, God, do you not love me anymore? God, do you not want me anymore? Did I rule myself out this time? He's saying we're more than conquerors through it. We're more than conquerors in this relationship with God. And I think that also speaks to the life change God wants to be bringing in our heart to kind of help balance out the message here. I think God is, is trying to say, look, no matter what you're going through, no matter what struggle you're in, either I'm going to give you the grace to go through it and live well, or my love for you is so strong that even if you come out the other side and you have struggled and you've fallen, that I love you passionately. And you're more than a conqueror. And I love that we're more than conquerors and not just like squeaker by conquerors or just barely made it, you know. Uh, I love that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then just in case we're not convinced yet, he says this. Verse 38, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know about you, I kind of feel like Paul's trying to get something across here. I kind of feel like he's trying to say, look, just in case you're doubting, wondering if anything on planet Earth or beyond can rule you out from the love of God, the answer is no. The answer is you are truly his. He purchased you with his son, and if you've responded to what he's done for you, then you are his, and he loves you. And so what I want you to know this morning is that your shortcomings cannot separate you from the love of God. I think that's the big lie that Satan whispers in all our ears. Your shortcomings, they can separate you. They can separate you from the love of God. And so beat yourself up and, and feel scared and condemn yourself. But in reality, our shortcomings are the things Jesus came to save us from, right? Even our continued ones. And again, yes, there should be change in our hearts. 
And the Bible's clear on this, that, that there should be a growth, and we don't use this as an excuse. Please don't go outside and kill someone today because I said you're all right, you know? Don't use this as an excuse, okay? But what he's trying to get across here is that we can relax a little bit, stop beating ourselves up, not relax in the sense of, oh, I'm not gonna try to live for God, but relax when it comes to this self-condemnation. Relax when it comes to this guilt. Relax when it comes to the things that we continue to play through our heads and bring up over and over again and the ways that we tend to rule ourselves out. And so let me ask you some questions to put you at rest today. These are questions for those of you guys that are followers of Jesus. And the question number one is, when you do something wrong, when you strike out, when you, you don't hit the ball as far as you want to, is there a godly sorrow? When you, when you, when you lie, when you lose your temper, when a thought through runs through your head that you shouldn't have held on to, is there, is there a time where you go, okay, I, I'm truly sorry for that, God? Another question, is there a desire in your heart to change? You know, you, you come through the other side and, and you know you messed up and you know you shouldn't have done this or that, but, but again, it, not just a godly sorrow, but then is there, all right, God, I really want to be different. I, I love you and I want you to change me. And lastly, do you trust in Jesus' blood to cleanse you from all your sin? At the end of the day, when you've become sorrowful for it, again, not to beat yourself up and walk around, but there should be just this truly godly sorrow of repentance to come before him and a desire to change. But at the end of the day, do you look at him and say, God, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm sorry I blew it and I need you to continue to be at work on my heart here, but I, I'm so thankful. Can you, can you just, at the end of that process, come to the point of peace? I'm so thankful that your blood, Jesus' blood, cleanses me from what I just did. And I know that that and that alone is my salvation. And I just want you to know something, some amazing news today. You're his. You're his. He loves you. And he wants you. And if you say today, well, I don't know if I'm his. I want you to know that he desires for you to be his. It doesn't just say he loves you, but no, he sent his son. And he put him exactly where you deserve to be to rescue you from your sin. And so Christians, what I want you to do, I want you to stop beating yourselves up. I want you to stop throwing these, these fits of guilt and self-condemnation, walking around and running from God. That's the biggest lie the enemy throws at us is, well, you're so far from God already, you might as well just keep running. I want you to turn to him and have some godly sorrow and have a heart to change, but ultimately rest in what Jesus has done for you. Uh, my, our, our staff was working in the office this week and uh, we got the bad news that um, s- someone that we knew, uh, a youth pastor in a different state, uh, had gotten themselves into, in, himself into some really big trouble um, with the law and had just made a horrible decision, very, very quick, bad decision that ruined uh, a lot of his life. And I just remember being just kind of heartbroken about this and, and the guys and just the weight of it hitting us. And uh, it's funny because Joey kind of used this story last week in his message and I thought the same exact thing he thought and we never even talked about it. And it was this. His, this guy's story isn't over yet. He's still loved by God. Made a horrible choice. Possibly ruined his family. Definitely ruined for a time his ministry. I haven't talked to him. I don't know where he's at right now. 
But I know this, is that he's loved by God. And that his shortcoming, though huge, doesn't separate him from the love of God. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and use that as an excuse because, like I just said, there are consequences and his world's falling apart right now. I, I pray to God that none of you ever make the choice he made and that I don't either. But the reality is, is that this man, if he will come before God with a godly sorrow and with a heart to change and with an absolute trust in the forgiveness of Jesus, then nothing can separate him from God's love. And the same is true for you. I want you to leave today with more than some words. I want you to leave with a visual. And so I want to ask my son Kate if he'll come up here. And I also want to ask if uh, Andrew come up here and help us out. Because I just want you to really get this today. So come on up, bud. Super nice jump. And so Cade is a, and he's a great boy. And he's a, a great listener. And you know what? As he gets a little bit older, I'm guessing there are going to be some times he's going to have to come and say, Dad, Mom, I, uh, I made a bad decision, and I hope that you can forgive me. And I just want you guys to see today that the truth is, is that nothing can separate him from our love. That there'll be some times we'll have to have some hard conversations, and we'll have to say, Bud, you shouldn't have done that. And maybe there are some consequences, yes, but I see in you that nothing can separate you from my love. And just to be sure that you guys are seeing this correctly, I want to continue to reinforce this thought in your mind. I want you to continue to see that as much as he might do and as bad as he might feel and as hard as things might get, that nothing will separate him from our love. That he'll have his moments, that there'll be good days and bad days, but that truly <laughs> nothing can separate him from Kelly's love and from my love. And, you know, I just think about this relationship and how much there are times that he might feel like he's really and truly let us down and made things hard. But the truth is, is that I have such incredible joy in this guy. And I know Kelly does too. Just this amazing, amazing joy. And just in case there was any wondering... I'll help you out. I'll do this one myself just to drive the point home. That the truth is, is that nothing can separate this guy from our love. And he's going to mess up. You're going to mess up, my man. You know what? That's okay. We know that. We know that going in. And we love him. And there'll never be a time I can look into this guy's eyes and say, I don't love you. There'll never be a time I can look into this guy's eyes and say, I don't want you. I don't forgive you. And he can rest securely in that. And I think he does. I think he knows that. And so he lives at peace. And he doesn't walk around the house beating himself up for things he did yesterday or the day before. And the truth is, guys, is that God hasn't duct-hit himself to you. He hasn't bungee-corded himself to you to prove this to you. But he put himself on a cross to say, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and let you know that you truly are mine. And yes, you have shortcomings, and yes, you will continue to have shortcomings. But those shortcomings do not and cannot separate you from my love. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for just the way that you've worked in our lives. And I just pray, God, that you will just continue, Lord, to 
be at work in every single person's life in this room, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just bless and keep, Lord, all the Christians in this room, that we can so easily struggle and beat ourselves up, Lord. We can so easily uh, rule ourselves out and decide you don't love us anymore or get the joy and the satisfaction sucked out of our relationship with you. And I just pray today, Lord, that this promise, Lord, that we're more than conquerors and that nothing can separate us from this love will lead us to new places in you, God. And I pray for those that might not call themselves Christians today. And I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to his love because he knows you as you are and he's okay. He's okay with your past. He's purchased it with his blood. He's okay with where you are today. He's purchased it with his blood and he knows that he wants to be changing your heart in the future but he knows you're gonna continue to fall short and he knows that there'll be times you still make mistakes and and sin and, and flat out just absolutely mess up but his love for you is huge. So if you wanna respond to this relationship with him today, would you just, just everybody's with your eyes closed, just every, every, every person is just completely between you and God. Would you just pray something like this? Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. Thank you that nothing can separate me from your love. So forgive me for my sins and change my life. In your name I pray, amen.